two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Welcome to The Flip Side. I'm Jeff Melly, the Global Head of Research at Barclays, and I'm joined today by Ajay Rajadox, our Global Head of Macro Research. Thanks for joining me, Ajay. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Today we're going to talk about the repo market, an esoteric part of the financial system. Repo, which is short for repurchase agreement, is a 2.4 trillion market that most people never even heard of. Although it's not well known, this is actually a pretty important market. It's integral in transmitting the Fed's monetary policy into the rest of the fixed income market, which means it's relevant for virtually every financial asset globally. Now, one reason why people haven't heard of it, Jeff, is because most of the time it does function smoothly. That's not been the case recently, though. For example, in mid-September, financing rates in this repo market spiked from 2% to over 10 forcing the U.S. Central Bank to step in. The events in September raised some important questions, which we're going to touch upon on this episode. First, did enhanced regulation of the banking system contribute to the volatility in repo markets? Second, is intervention by the Fed creating new risks? And third, and most importantly, is this going to happen again, particularly as we go through year-end, which is typically a time of stress in the financing markets? All right, so for today's debate, I'm going to argue that the volatility in repo markets was due to new constraints placed on the banking system, that the Fed is creating new risks, namely moral hazard, whereby investors don't need to worry about access to financing when taking positions, and that we are exposed to future shocks. Whether or not they happen over year end, I think the likelihood that financing market disruptions occur again is growing. I got to tell you, Jeff, I disagree. I think that is too pessimistic. I think the Fed intervention was necessary. It worked. And with some regulatory tweaks, it is possible to at least curtail, if not outright avoid, moral hazard and maintain a well-functioning financing market. I'll also say that I think the actions of the Fed have limited the chances of a new near-term shock. I know everyone's worried about year-end, and I'm far less so. Okay, now before we get into this debate, I think it's worth discussing how the repo market works normally and what went wrong in September. So the repo market is a fancy term for what's basically an overnight collateralized borrowing market. And I'm going to give a stylized example for how it works. Say you're a money market fund. That's a fund that takes cash from retail investors and from corporations, and it allows them to withdraw it basically at any time. A money market's investments need to meet two characteristics. First, they need to be short dated so that the money market can actually give people their cash back if they want it. Second, they need to be extremely safe. So what does short-dated mean? Well, it doesn't get any shorter-dated than overnight. What does extremely safe mean? Well, there's two ways to be extremely safe. One is money markets can make sure they lend only to very safe counterparties, and in this case, they choose banks. Second, they don't just lend the money to banks. They demand collateral back from the banks, and the safest collateral that's out there is U.S. Treasuries. So why do we call it a repurchase agreement or a repo transaction? That's because of the formal way that the transaction is structured. The bank basically agrees to repurchase the treasuries it gives to the money fund as collateral the next day at just a slightly higher price than where it gave it to them in the first place. That just slightly higher price basically can translate into effectively the interest rate on the loan. And then there's the other side of the transaction, which is where hedge funds reside. 
So you are a hedge fund, you are a sophisticated investor, you buy treasuries, but because treasury yields are low, because you are trying to take advantage of relatively small mispricings, what you do is you lever up. You need financing to lever up, and so you go to a bank. You go to the same bank, you give it the treasuries that you have bought, you borrow money against them, and the bank is happy with this because hedge funds might be risky to lend to, but now that loan is collateralized, and the collateral backing it is the safest there is, U.S. Treasuries. Okay, so now think about the bank, which kind of sits in the middle of these two transactions. On the one hand, it has clients with cash, the money market funds, who will lend to the bank, but only if it's collateralized by treasuries. On the other hand, it has clients looking to borrow money, the hedge funds, who, who will take money from wherever they can get it, but they're willing to collateralize it with the treasuries. So the bank sits in the middle. It takes the cash from the money market fund. It passes it through to the hedge fund. It takes the treasuries from the hedge fund as collateral, passes it through to the, to the money market fund. The bank takes a slight little sort of commission on the top of each of those transactions, and that's called matched book repo. It's called matched book for obvious reasons where it's matching the lenders with the borrowers. Normally, the interest rate associated with repo transactions tracks the Fed funds rate. But on September 16th, that clearly didn't happen repo rates spiked to over 10%. The spike, we think, boils down primarily to a divergence between supply and demand. I'll take the demand side first. As U.S. deficits have risen, the U.S. Treasury has needed to issue more bonds. More bonds out there means more bonds needing financing. That means more demand for repo. On the supply side, the big issue was the corporate tax payment due on September 15th. Corporates withdrew money from money funds in order to fund their taxes, that's not a surprise. What was a surprise was banks usually step up to fill the gap. On September 15th, they didn't, and so repo rates spiked. Now, to understand why banks didn't step in, we have to think about what they do with their assets. Banks have to invest assets just like any other institution. Their typical investments are things like loans they would make to individuals or to corporations. They might own securities. It turns out banks can make deposits too. It's just they don't make deposits with other banks. They deposit their money with the Federal Reserve. The Fed is like a bank for banks. Those deposits are called excess reserves. And for obvious reasons, they're considered to be extremely safe. The Fed could literally print money to make good on, on any money that a, a bank needed to withdraw from it. When banks would step into the repo market in the way that you were discussing, what that really means is they would withdraw some of this deposits and use that money to lend to hedge funds looking for financing. That's what it means to use its balance sheet to fill in the gap. Banks were reluctant to use reserves because of new regulation. The fact is that the new regulatory regime requires banks to keep a minimum amount of safe assets so that they can have enough money to fund withdrawals in the case of a shock to the system. The safest asset there is, is bank reserves. Nothing beats a cash deposit that you as a bank have at the Fed. Now, technically, this counts the same as treasuries in all the formal ratios, but for stress tests and definitely informal with, informally with regulatory supervisors, there is very much a preference for reserves over treasuries. And what the September event did was it exposed this preference. Banks were clearly unwilling to take reserves lower, even though they could have made more money by doing so, by getting back treasuries through lending money in the repo markets. This was not always the case. Pre-financial crisis, pre-this regulatory regime, 
the repo departments of banks were far more nimble. They used to take advantage of dislocations in funding markets quickly and thereby normalize them. That's not the case now. Now they are rigid, they are slow-moving, and this also explains why the rates earned by money funds only rose slightly in September. These were people that were fully invested. There was no more money to attract, and usually banks would have stepped in, and it didn't happen this time around. And that is a byproduct of new regulation. To try to normalize the market, the Fed bought a bunch of treasuries from banks. So what did that do? The Fed buys a treasury from a bank, and it credits the bank's, basically their bank's checking account with the Fed for the purchase price of the treasuries. So excess reserves go up. Then banks can withdraw those new excess reserves, use that to, to satisfy the demand for financing from hedge funds and other investors. Banks ended up back at the level of reserves that they were comfortable with, and the investors that needed it had access to financing. And look, the Fed has remained active in this market. It has continued to boost excess reserves for all of the last three months. So with that backdrop in place, let's get into the crux of the debate. So I think the Fed's intervention was a mistake, and I think it's going to create new risks. The constraints that regulation has placed on banks' use of excess reserves were intentional. They're part of the post-crisis regulatory regime for a reason. Excessive short-term borrowing in the run-up to the financial crisis was considered to be a major contributor to the chaos that followed. Banks had borrowed, actually through the repo markets in many cases, to finance positions in all sorts of assets, corporate bonds, subprime mortgages, sophisticated structured products. And when the short-term markets dried up, banks became forced sellers of those assets, pushing their prices down even further than maybe fundamentals would have otherwise dictated, and creating ever more chaos in financial markets. The new regulatory constraints are specifically designed to limit the risks that this occurs. A natural consequence of these constraints is that at times the demand for financing might be more than banks can provide, but that's what comes with having a safer financial system. Yeah, but look, Jeff, surely you are not suggesting that the Fed should have just allowed the repo markets to continue to dislocate. This would have put a number of levered investors out of business. It would have forced asset sales. Now I concede that those asset sales would largely have been of treasuries. But number one, that is not a smoothly functioning financial market. And number two, there was a very real risk that it would not have stayed limited to treasuries on the product side, on the asset side, or to hedge funds in terms of investor bases. The risk was that this would have spread, continued to infect other parts of the market, if the Fed had not stepped up. It is the case, Ajay, that absent intervention, some investors who took risky positions that required access to financing would have gotten burned. There's no doubt. But if you have no chance that investors get burned, that means that the leverage that these investors take becomes unfettered. There's no constraint placed on them. If every investor out there knows that as soon as financing markets get slightly disrupted, the Fed's going to step in to smooth it, then there's no reason to consider financing risk as a barrier to taking leveraged views. And that is part of what the new constraints are meant to avoid. We want investors to internalize these risks, not presume that various government entities are going to come in and smooth things over if anything goes wrong. In some ways, we're actually back to creating the same problem that we had before, except in the pre-crisis time, it was banks who were too levered, and now it's going to be investors who are too levered. And I think there's, a, there's another way of saying this, which is like a version of an impossible trinity. 
you can't have the following three things all obtain at the same time. You can't have a bulletproof financial system, a smooth functioning repo market, and no moral hazard whatsoever in the market. You have to pick two of three, and it's not obvious to me that sacrificing moral hazard in the name of a smooth functioning repo market is the right trade-off. Look, I am sympathetic to the principles, the concerns that you express around moral hazard, but I do think you're overstating the trade-offs associated with enhanced regulation. Forget everything else, just think about one thing. Would you rather have over-levered hedge funds or over-levered banking sectors? Even if that is the result of the new system where it's the hedge funds that end up being more levered than they otherwise would have been, at the cost of making the banking sector simpler, that seems like a worthwhile improvement to me. Now that probably is an improvement, but what it also means is that the source of instability moves from being heavily regulated banks into a largely or even completely unregulated part of the market, which is the buy side. And frankly, a fire sale can start anywhere. So I'm not so sure that it's, it's, it's sufficient to say this is an improvement and then call it a day. Yeah, but I think there is a middle path. Look, I agree that the new rules do put constraints on the system, but I think some tweaks can help a lot in relaxing the constraints on the repo market in a way that doesn't actually threaten the safety and soundness of the banking sector. Okay, so start with the narrative you painted earlier about how repo played a role in the crisis. You mentioned a bunch of financial assets that were impacted. You mentioned subprime mortgages first and foremost, but notice the one asset class that you did not mention, U.S. Treasuries. And clearly there was a, there was a reason for that. The fact is the underlying collateral here is extremely safe the repo market in treasuries functions smoothly, even for Lehman in its final days. And when it is not, we have to point to regulations as being the culprit. I do not think it is too much of a stretch for regulators to think about relaxing the treatment of treasury repo in the rules. And this will, if done correctly, ease up on banks' reluctance to enter into these trades whenever the market is dislocated. Well, look, AJ, I agree with you on the true risks associated with Treasury repo, I think they're very limited. That's actually something that we've written about pretty extensively since the advent of the new regulations. But I'm not the one you have to convince. You have to convince regulators. And in fact, rather than go the direction you're suggesting, there are even further rules still in the works that would make Treasury repo even more expensive for banks. All right, I'm gonna suggest another potential remedy here, and that is transparency. Official rules don't really draw a distinction between bank reserves and treasuries. We know that. But we also know that there is an implicit preference by regulators, by, by you know, the people who are in the trenches, and that preference is for excess reserves over treasuries. The funny thing is it's one thing to talk about moral hazard, but here's a question I have. How is a hedge fund, a levered investor, or anyone else for that matter, supposed to manage a risk that is completely opaque. Think about how opaque this is. Even the Fed did not understand what the bound on bank reserves was. Every estimate, every study that they did, and they did a bunch of them, had this bound at or below a trillion. And we started hitting problems at 1.4 trillion. So if the Fed cannot figure out the constraints imposed on the repo market by new regulations, it is not clear how anyone else is supposed to either. Make the rules and preferences for reserves completely transparent. 
allow any and every participant to judge how much financing capacity is remaining in the system and that will go a long way towards increasing transparency well you know unfortunately aj i think the cat's something out of the bag at this point i'm not sure that transparency is enough so for example the transparency you're suggesting would would make it clear to investors and to banks themselves what if any preference supervisors had for excess reserves but we think that bank treasurers themselves have a preference for excess reserves they consider excess reserves safer than treasuries and at this point they probably are right so we had a disruption in the repo market in september and it turned out that having reserves ended up being safer and what's shocking about that statement is we both agreed that in the financial crisis even for institutions that were on the brink of collapse the treasury repo market worked fine you know when it didn't work fine in september of this year when everything else in the whole financial system was hunky dory there was no signs of stress so we've actually created a system where that preference might be embedded at this point that is perhaps true i will concede that but even so i personally think that a more explicit statement by regulators around reserves versus treasuries making them clearly equal in including in the in the preferences that regulators convey informally would still help but if it doesn't i don't think there is any choice but to take the risks around moral hazard and i i do want to bring up one thing here yes uh, the fed missed what was happening on september 15th and 16th but when they did react what they did worked as reserves grew in the system guess what happened to repo rates they normalized they fell sharply yeah but what's going to happen next time so right now we're in december we're going into year end that's a time where there is typically stress in financing systems we could experience the same thing that we just went through look i think it's unlikely the system is now flooded with reserves and it's increasing every single week the fed is not backing away nearly 3 months after the september episode they are still increasing the amount of liquidity in the market i think that they are committed to making sure that year in 2019 doesn't have the problems that mid september did okay so it's unlikely that we have exactly the same problem happen fair enough but that doesn't mean it's unlikely that something else doesn't go wrong and i want to make two final points on that first the underlying asset that we're talking about here is us treasuries and because of our deficit the amount of treasuries out there is just going to continue to grow so if we thought the demand for financing was high in september what about next september or the september after that it's only going in one direction second banks are optimizing over an alphabet soup of regulations i'll give some of the acronyms just so you can hear hear how long the list is there's lcr slr nsfr ccar clar and i could go on it's like a rubik's cube of regulations reserves is one part of one equation but there are other parts of other equations for example capital all of those regulations have implications for bank capital we're not really sure what the next constraint is going to be on the system but i think it's likely that there will be another constraint periodic volatility in the repo market could just be the new normal and if that's the case the fed is going to have to continue to step in it's one thing to say they've solved the reserves issue today but it's a different question to say that they're going to be able to solve every issue that comes up or be on the hook to come up with ever more creative ways of intervening to keep the repo markets functioning smoothly well that'll be a topic for future debate thanks for listening to this episode of the flipside
For more details on this topic, clients can read our latest report entitled Proposals to Address Repo Market Fragility, available on Barclays Live. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the flip side. For more insights about this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com slash IB.